1: Today I'm coming to you from Valdesta, Georgia. So we're down here doing a HITS uh, patrol dog class. We call it an advanced patrol dog class that one of the HITS partners put together, Jeff Barrett. So we're in Valdesta, Georgia tonight. We've got handlers from several different states with us tonight. And uh, we've got quite a few trainers here that are down here, and we're all uh, having a good time training dogs. So I'm going to start tonight with uh, just doing quick backgrounds for all the trainers that are up here. We've put a trainers panel together and we're just gonna talk a little bit about our background. So if, if you want, I'll start first. I, I uh, just retired from uh, Denver PD. I did more than 33 years there. I've been involved in uh, canine for most of my career. Either as a decoy and then um, I started handling dogs uh, about 1996. I've trained uh, patrol dogs for a long time. I handled quite a few patrol dogs, some dual-purpose dogs. And then I ended up uh, getting tasked with starting a detection dog unit. So I was fortunate when I retired. I had uh, worked every kind of dog that our agency has, and that's pretty much all I did on our department. So was a trainer for all the different units in the department and was able to uh train a lot of dogs to our department and then through our hits company that we do the training and um, at one time I owned a magazine so I've traveled really all over the world training dogs and now as I'm retired I'm training dogs all over the country. Um, So doing a lot of that and then I'm going to pass it down and we're going to talk to all of our trainers that we have here tonight. So the first one I've got is uh, Blake Broadhurst and he'll give his uh, background.
2: Hi, I'm Blake Broadhurst to uh, tell you a little bit about myself. I'm a uh, 15-year law enforcement uh, with the Orlando Police Department. Uh, in those 15 years, yeah, done about right. 13 years on TAC units, been on SWAT, um, dope units, been in training, um, hold certificate. So, oh, sorry, hold uh, certifications as an active shooter, um, patrol K9 and DT. Um, basically, my background is going to be in uh, specialty uses of force, Uh, As a younger guy, I got into about 120 to 150 uses of force in my career. So I was lucky to get a lot of experience on how to take bad guys down, the good and the bad. Uh, And then what I've been doing over the last probably about a decade, I actually got into uh, uh, goju karate, which is basically open-hand stand-up fighting. So I've taken that experience of all those uses of force, and then I've built a skill level in goju fighting um, to kind of complement each other as far as uh, that's concerned what I've done I was transitioning that into my canine career I've done about a decade in canine uh, and as of lately I uh, have started my own company Mav1 tactics and basically what we do is we focus on building the handler skill uh, and ability to take bad guys down as a team with their dog and with their cover officers so I've used my canine background and then my martial arts background and kind of merged them together uh, to have different tactics and techniques of how to do that efficiently and effectively
1: Okay,
3: good.
1: Next, we have uh, Aaron Peterman. Aaron, tell us a little bit about yourself.
4: Uh, Thanks for having me, Jeff. Everybody calls me AP, uh, short for Aaron Peterman, of course. I started with uh, the Polk County Sheriff's Office in 1997. I did roughly four years there and then went to – lakeland pd which is in central florida inside polk county i, I got on our swat team in in 2001 and did uh, roughly five years in our street crimes unit and then i could i figured out that i don't have to chase people uh, <laughs> i can go to canine and let the dog do it so um in a gist i worked uh four dogs total ended up getting promoted um being the sergeant of the unit for a while all, all four dogs were dual purpose three of those were uh assigned to the team. Here recently, I switched to investigation just to help my retirement out a little bit. Still heavily involved in, in K-9 in our in our unit. I'm also the um, the USPCA Region 1 president, which basically encompasses Florida, Georgia, and Alabama. Okay, good. Next, we have Dan Darr.
5: Hey, thanks, Jeff. I'm Daniel Dar. Um Been a handler for coming up on 10 years with the Polk County Sheriff's Office. Uh, been an instructor with hits coming up on about three years i'm also on the swat team as the canine handler um, pretty much uh, i'm an instructor of close to 31 dogs at the Polk county sheriff's office um, 20 of those are patrol some of them are bloodhound and single purpose detection dogs and so i have i'm certified as a fdle farms instructor and then um, just helping out with patrol stuff and tactics
6: with Jeff. Yeah. Jeff Barrett from uh, HITS Canine. Hey, guys, I'm Jeff Barrett. I'm one of the owners of HITS. Uh, I've got 33 years in law enforcement. 31 of those were spent with a leash in my hand, so I spent the whole career just doing dog stuff. I didn't want to get promoted because we'd have to leave the unit. Uh, That sort of changed throughout the career, but at the age I was and the stage that I was in with the dog unit, I wasn't really interested in supervising. I just wanted to continue training and developing uh, skills as a trainer. So I got real lucky uh, early on and got some help from uh, Frank Campbell, who was running a multi-jurisdictional counterdrug task force, and uh, he invited me to help those guys train. And we traveled. I spent all my vacation time traveling and training and learning how to train dogs and literally just thousands and thousands of teams throughout the years that I've been doing this. And uh, the more dogs you see, the more you help, the more you understand that there's so many out there that have different personalities and not just one way to do things. And the more you understand it, the more you really learn that you just don't know everything there is to know about it. So uh, we're still learning, but it's so enjoyable to come and everybody here is like little sponges. And I just love, you know, that you listen to what we have to say and you enjoy what we're doing. So I appreciate that. And next we have
1: uh, Tasha Ewart from Aurora, Colorado.
7: Hi guys um, i'm from aurora colorado i've been with the department for 18 years now um, i worked our direct action response team which is a proactive unit for about five years before coming to canine um, i've been a handler in our canine unit for almost 10 years now and i'm also the lead trainer there
1: okay good so we have handlers here from uh, georgia florida virginia kentucky Alabama West Virginia so there's the room uh, the the group here is pretty big we have some some people here who came down tonight to have beers with us so first thing I'm gonna do is uh, see somebody's gonna volunteer come up ask a question and then we'll throw it out to all of our handlers so who wants to ask a question first
8: yeah I'm from the Skama County Sheriff's Office it's probably a question AP can probably help us with Uh, we're going through a transition in our department right now um, from patrol dog kind of move them to a tactical SWAT dog what kind of training do you recommend to kind of make that transition from just a regular patrol dog to assist SWAT and our TAC units
4: I guess the perfect picture for me would be and and let me premise this not not every team would be a quote-unquote TAC dog right everybody should be able to do it but depending on um the nature of the person obviously your SWAT team's probably going to want a handler that's fit maybe proving himself a little bit or herself you know and the attributes in the in the dog or the animal it for me our team you know we want quiet we want social we want that um that controlled chaos if that makes sense and I think all that comes in on on the foundation side you know as we saw today a lot of good dogs just a lot of in my opinion just and this is my opinion a lot of anticipation and overstimulation they see what's coming and it bleeds out we want quietness we want calm we want clarity and I, I think that would really help with a with a tack dog you know a dog that's probably been on the street a little bit that's been in some some fights had some uses of force same with the handler right we got to be able to justify what we're doing and first and foremost uh, I think even more important than the the apprehension side is that the dog is a locating tool it's no different than the robot it's no different than the drone uh, on our team uh, you might sit for hours until they call for dogs up and then that dog is used to what to locate and then once we get an alert if we get an alert guess what okay AP get out of the way go to the back and then SWAT's going to do their thing so you're basically augmenting yourself to the team's tactics and I think once you show your your tag team and your SWAT your SWAT guys what you're capable of and that you know and dogs are not 100 percent you may send a dog into a house and you may not get something because what if the dog doesn't get an odor he just he doesn't get an odor and we need to make sure that they know that they when they go to flutter room after a dog has um maybe sniffed the seam or check something they need they still need to use proper tactics so what we did at 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 lakeland years ago is we did everything with the unit first we did all the all the stack um inoculation and exposure so if something was going to happen if a dog redirected or, or or um boiled over and took a little tag on somebody it was with us because we wanted to get all that out of the way before we got to to the team because you know what happens when they get there oh here we go here's canine yep they're gonna they're gonna get on somebody of course when all that stuff is on what does it look like you know you start putting your vests on you got groin protectors and bicep and 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 you got the rifles dog. Oh, this dude's got a bodysuit on or something so we made sure we put all that stuff on we did all the ob we did all the movement past the stack we did all the searches in the long line with with our canine our unit which was nine people. So we kind of simulated a good stack, and then we took it to the team and showed it to the team leaders. Does that help you?
8: Yes, it does, because I never actually thought about doing it with the canine unit, getting them prepared to present them to the SWAT team, because the SWAT team has the same issues with our dogs about them getting tagged and all that. So I think that really... Says a lot about doing it with this canine unit, and then moving to the SWAT team.
4: It, also, what that showed us as a team is which which dogs are going to be be ready to be, do be it. the quote unquote. We have two designated dogs now. Every dog can do it. If I don't answer the phone, somebody else doesn't answer the phone. We can plug in somebody. But the dogs that are maybe a little too vocal or just can't get past um, the social and the environmental of working with a big pack like that, they're probably going to be on a perimeter just outside. You had something, Jeff? Yeah, I just wanted to add to that, Kevin, is
6: that... I just wanted to add to that, Kevin, Kevin, is that the SWAT team has an expectation of what canines capable of and what they can contribute to their operations. And if we don't prepare before we go to a training day with them, it can be a little disheartening to them. Uh, A little disappointing for them, Uh, you know. So if I were to go to the SWAT commander and say, hey, how did the dogs do today? Well, we just kind of stood around and watched them fight with their dogs for control because, you know, we didn't really get much accomplished. So we as a canine unit want to kind of be prepared for that training day when we integrate with the SWAT team. So we play the role of SWAT operators uh, as canine handlers just to give those dogs that look, that mission feel so that when we go to that training day, they can feel like they've accomplished something with the dog and they have a sense that, hey, these dogs have worked pretty good, you know. other than just sitting around going, oh man, this dog's need a lot of work, I don't know if this is really gonna work for us. Those
1: are good points. I was gonna throw out two uh, things I thought of too, is, and you mentioned AP, is I think a lot of times we focus on that the dog needs to have some street bites. Now that helps if it's gonna be a, a SWAT dog, if you will, but, you know, in the day and age we live in, we're not getting the bites we used to, which is fine. But I think the dog should have some legitimate locates and should show that he can work human odor and he'll stay with that human odor because that's like AP said, that's what the dog's there to do. So you make sure that he'll find a, a prone suspect who's not moving under a bed and then stay with it and give give that indication because it's going to sink you if, if uh, you call it clear and then the SWAT guys go in and find a suspect and your dog wouldn't stay with them so and then the other point i was just going to say we didn't really mention is you mentioned not every dog can do it not every handler can do it either so uh, you know look at the handlers who want to do it and i think uh, besides there's some handlers you know i know you're a lieutenant. I think there's some handlers that that maybe want to do it that aren't the right personality. You know, if they're going to live vicariously and all of a sudden I'm only SWAT, I'm not going to go do a dog thing anymore because I'm above it. That's not the guy we want or it's a person who isn't going to be reliable. So I think we have to look at both ends of that leash and build for success because in my experience, the group that criticizes what we do more than anybody has been SWAT guys. And they want to find a reason to criticize us and almost – and and it, it seems almost universal as I travel that when, you know, if something goes wrong, the first thing that the SWAT guys want to do is point to the dog and the handler or whatever. So we have to build ourselves for that success and kind of be bulletproof as much as possible. Does that answer your question, Kevin?
8: It does, and I appreciate it. That's why I come to a lot of hits and send my guys because getting different perspectives. I would have never – working three dogs, being successful in canine. never thought about it because – given the SWAT team an asset not a liability and i never thought about it till so they said I, I, pretty much i'm not going to put my dog on the stage till he's ready to hit this ready to go right. and that's yeah. a good perspective good good appreciate, it. Good. appreciate
1: that all righty who else has a question for this trainer group
8: is
0: it all yep
1: around? it's you go ahead
0: uh my name is john carter i'm from hamilton county indiana
1: indiana so oh i forgot indiana so how long uh, did it take you to get here
0: Uh, 12 hours.
1: 12-hour drive. Um, Thanks for coming.
0: Yeah. Um, So my question, or my comment, I guess, was a lot of the times it was brought up in one of the stations that a lot of the times we know how to put a dog on somebody if we need to, but that's kind of where it stops. And then it just becomes, you know, a polyester pile after that, which adds to the stress of the dog. Uh, So it was nice to actually apply some techniques to uh, shorten the time on the bite and learn some techniques working around the dog while he's on a bite on the decoy. A, to familiarize the dog with, you know, getting tossed sure. around and, and staying on a bite and um, familiar with maybe being away from the handler, uh, if the handler's gonna be the one that does that takedown, if they're, you know, in a scenario yeah. that dictates that. So just kind of an overall comment that it was nice to be able to get out and see that training and do that training.
1: Good, good. I'm glad it was worth the drive down here. So, on you.
8: absolutely.
0: Actually, I had a follow-up question for you, too, oh, good, since we... Yeah, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> I was curious what Mav1 Tactics, like where you got that name from.
2: Actually, the Mav1 uh, name, and it's, uh, it's kind of interesting that you ask. So when I first, uh, first started this company, it was about two years ago, but we've been doing the research as far as the integration of the martial arts to the actual dog handler tactics. And when I first started, I'll be honest with you, it was not a popular thing at all. Um, when we started doing it, I got a lot of uh, people going, man, wh- what are you doing? This is not ninja stuff. Just go in there and take care of business. You're doing too much. This is, this is out of the league, and this is something we don't normally do as far as use of force-wise. We let the dog do the work, and then we go in there, and we take care of business, and this is the way it's done. Uh, when I saw that, I was like, I think we can do better. Um, we're not just handlers. We're actually operators um, overall because... You think SWAT, you think Seals, uh, Delta, but we do a specialized job, and all the an operator means is somebody that's really good at what they do. They're professionals. So when I came up with the name, I said, you know, I'm treading into something brand new, <laughs> and uh, it's not popular right now, but uh, I think there's a great need for it. So I'm going to be a maverick, and I'm going to do something that's off course, off beat, off the trail, and I looked up the definition, and it kind of fit there. So I was like, you know what? Uh, I think we as handlers need to be number one in what we're doing. Uh, we need to lead the pack. And I was like, you know what? Mav1 tactics, starting something new, a new trail. Good. And I know, Blake, you were going to
1: expand on something that he's talked about earlier, too, before.
2: So so you guys were talking um, a little bit about deficiencies. And um, I'll be honest with you. Um, as a young, when I first started in SWAT, um, as a young man or woman, we're doing this job and they ask us to do a lot of cool, dangerous things. We can get ego sometimes. So our first guy came on the SWAT, uh, a Special Orlando SWAT. To me, that's 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 a pretty high goal and standard. So when I came on the team, I was like, man, I'm, I'm pretty awesome, pretty great. I've got this background, I've been on a lot of uses of force, I'm, I'm a bad A. Well, we went to a training session uh, with a bunch of uh, Special Forces guys and I found myself not being as good as I thought it was. My skill level didn't match my um, my belief in myself, I guess you'd say. So when we did that, I saw I wasn't good as I wanted to be, or as I felt, I started looking at my deficiencies like Jeff was saying. And it's a scary thing to look at, because when you start looking at deficiencies, you see and I got a lot of holes in these things. People are going to start judging me, and... I don't feel comfortable with that. So the biggest thing that I found that made me so much better in my career and in what I'm doing is I found the deficiencies, which for me was fighting. I wasn't very good at it. I was just very athletic. And then I started looking at deficiencies in me as a handler, as me as a person. And then I started going and taking those deficiencies on head first, taking the fears on and developing that. And the cool thing is with all this training and the hits, What I started seeing is, man, a lot of dogs have deficiencies that we don't talk about. We kind of hide. And then when I start seeing how they build them, especially Daniel with the Patrick Air Force Base, when we worked down there last week, how they built them step by step by step to create a dog that was now less fear, basically fearless. Of like four or five reps. I was like, man, this is this is building who they are because now you have confidence in what you've done that you've built something strong. Yeah. And I think that's pretty cool today is uh, we did a pre-evaluation. And it's not just for me, it's for you guys to see where you're at, where you're deficient at, and what we can do to help you get even better in what you're doing. Good. And
1: I think one of the things you're doing too, you know, the big buzzword in our in all of law enforcement is de-escalation. And what you're doing is, is a, you know, we can either let this dog fight and fight and not maybe not be successful or you can go over there and, and take quick decisive action that's kind of what you're you're showing additional tools in the toolbox and that's what de-escalation is all about about you know doing something so I think it's a it's a it's a newer skill but I'm glad to see you guys doing it thank you sir appreciate it
0: can I ask a follow-up too absolutely please um <clears throat> so obviously uh we're increasing the effectiveness of the of the dog and decreasing the liability hopefully by learning some of these different techniques where do you like what's your if you had an end goal for mav one like what is it is it the dog and human interact or uh integration with uh like ground fighting and deployments and stuff like that or is it more of a uh getting the humans up to the same standard that we're putting these dogs in terms of uh, seeing sight pictures and scenarios and stuff like that knowing how to uh, react appropriately
2: so my bi- my biggest thing for 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 the mav one part is building the handler to be as good as the dog um i've, I've had op- awesome opportunities to come to these these different teachings and teach with these guys and they do a great job of building these dogs up And these dogs are proficient and really good at what we're doing um i think we should be at the same level as far as professionalism and ability to be at our highest game to be able to go in and when we deploy we're not deploying just a dog we're deploying as a professional operative um i guess you'd use that word uh operator and when we go out there we should be at the same level to take these bad guys down and do it in a professional quick and efficient manner uh, when we're doing it so i'm just complimenting all the work that these guys and gals are doing just adding something on to the basics so that we're at a higher level
1: Anybody else have any questions? All right, come on up.
3: So, my question would be for. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm uh, John Peterson. I'm from uh, Mason County, West Virginia. Um, My question would be to anyone. uh, We live in a really rural area. We don't have a lot of uh, people in our department. We don't have a lot of people that are necessarily willing to train with a dog sure if you guys could give pretty good examples of what would be some good training techniques for maybe one or two people uh that we could use to get our dogs up to better standards
1: absolutely i'll jump in first on that one um i i teach a lot of e-collar classes around the country and when people come to one of my classes they think it's about pushing the button for the the e-collar but when you come to my class, you know, we do some classroom stuff. And the first thing we start talking about is dog psychology. And we talk about trying to train a dog when he's in in prey drive or when he's in fight drive. And, and the, the prey drive is very difficult to control because, you know, it's the dog that's chasing the bunny. And then we show how proper decoying can put that dog in a true fight drive. And then they're easier to control. But then we also transition back and forth in the class, and we do a lot of stuff with a dog with a muzzle on and a basketball, and they're running around chasing the basketball, and that's pure prey. And when we can start controlling the dog in that high level of, of drive, and they're, they're chasing a basketball, or you take them out of the muzzle, and you throw a large Kong that's bouncing it different ways, and you're calling them off that and sending him back and doing a lot of high-level distractions that you can do all by yourself – and at the same time, you're properly communicating with the dog with the e collar and you're just, you're ramping up your control over and over and over. That will absolutely boil over to when you come to a place like this or you go to your regular training day. So I've had people in your same situation that I show how they can do, you know, just some obedience stuff, getting that dog in a, you know, if, you're, if your obedience is standard obedience, you walk around and you give them a, a, a tug. You're not getting that dog in that high-level state of arousal that we want him in. So I, I would show you how to, how to do that and get the dog completely crazy about the, the ball and he's chasing it. And then when he comes back, you give him another ball, but you keep playing games with him, and you teach him to basically cap his drives in that mindset. That will directly transfer over. It's not a complete replacement, but it will transfer over. So then when you have that time where you do have a decoy, or two decoys are you training then you're not going to spend all the time doing the basic stuff your dog's already going to be up to there so there's there's a lot of possibilities you can do you know by yourself and the other part i would say is in your area i mean maybe even find some civilians who who are willing to come and help you you know there's some civilian trainers and stuff so
4: anybody else have a follow-up on that do you have a big training group there are multi agencies, or that'd be the obvious and most easiest answer, but um, I, I know that's not always realistic.
3: The most we've had is uh, three or four handlers uh, together at one time, and that maybe would happen once every three months. Um, it's just we have to pull people from a little further out, and it's just hard to get everybody in one spot at one time.
4: Um, the most we'll really have is two or three uh, on a weekly basis. So you just you're kind of just having to make do to get some help. Yes. Yeah, and to piggyback on what Jeff said, uh, if I don't know about liability or your department, but civilians are, if you have a a, a protection sport club or somebody that's really interested in dogs, I don't know the liability issue, maybe sign waivers, but I mean the civilian side is is where a lot of these techniques come from, and these people and mm-hmm. you know, civilians get into it, they love it and they could, they could truly be an asset. I know we have um, a Schutzen club around our area in, in Lakeland in Central Florida, and I was uh, tracking has kind of always been my nemesis because to me that's the hardest thing to, to do with a dog, I think, as a team, especially genetically if you have a, a certain dog that's maybe not uh, quite the predispositions, not, not there for tracking, and you bust your butt and do a good foundation. And, and uh, uh, my fourth dog, the last dog I had, I had this conception that, the dog was having problems tracking. So I reached out to some of the Schutzen guys that are in the area. One's a a jailer at Polk County. Um and then actually a guy in our unit now I reached out to him. He was Schutzen but he was just a patrol officer at the time. If you don't know anything about that sport, that's tracking is very, very big. It's footstep tracking, but we can still kinda correlate it over to police work and you can you know turn some of that tracking into trailing to to get the dog a little faster. So that was a big asset. Sure. Getting those and, and the one guy wasn't a civilian, he was a corrections officer, but you know, he trains with that club and 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 the decoy side of that was phenomenal, what those guys could do as far as eliciting certain things. So I, I would just grab a hold of anybody and everybody. If you got a couple people in your department and they're interested in canine, see, see if they can go to a decoy school. We put one on at it HITS, it's a pretty good one. We really get into reading the dog, and before you even get to channeling drives and switching back and forth, before we even get into techniques, but see if they'll send them to a, a, a class next thing you know you got a you got a guy or a gal that's a a good adversary or a good helper for you at the same time
1: i think the big thing is that and i don't know if you work for i assume the sheriff's department i think is make sure that your command and your sheriff understand that if they're going to have a canine unit they have to invest in this training thing and it doesn't have to be you know a lot of us had the luxury that we had a training day every week um, that's the industry standard is four hours per week but i mean they're going to have to allocate you some drive time and do some training. I mean, it's part of having, you know, they, they got to buy the dog food, and they got to train the dog and all that stuff. So hopefully, you know, they, they have that understanding. So
6: Yeah, and, and just ask questions of, uh, of the people that you work with. Hey, would you mind or are you interested in helping? You know, would you mind laying me a track tonight? Or, you know, I don't know how interested you are, but it doesn't take much effort. I kind of need a little bit of help, you know. Uh, and of course, they'd have to sign waivers or something to, for the liability part of it if the sheriff is okay with that. But, you know, even if they're just hiding as decoys, uh, you want to make sure they're well protected. But it's important to use that diversity in in uh, your decoy work too. But um, And then there's just flat out how much do you want to travel, you know, to put the miles on yourself and the hours to invest. Because you may have to go a few miles to get to somebody yeah. that's uh in the know that can help you good question it's just it's a matter of how bad do you want it sometimes you know if you're living out uh outside those boundaries of who can help perfect thank you
3: thank
1: you guys all right anybody else have any questions yeah (laughs) this is right
8: yeah (laughs) <laughs> now first I'd like to make a statement just as an outsider looking in today as an administrator and working three dogs one thing I noticed in this all the scenarios y'all th- y'all made the dog and the handler very uncomfortable uh, AP and the uh, the obedience tactical obedience he made me nervous as the administrator <laughs> but he put them in a situation they would not lose in. and that's one thing I liked about this class we have not failed in one scenario we've been in which I think is important for the dog. Just like me working three dogs, I've never been to a class where you have a apprehension going on and you take the bad guy down and take him under control till today. That's the first time I've ever seen that. So building searches, they put the dog in there to see what the, how the dog will react how the handler would react, and I've seen some things today. So that's a statement to anyway. me. But another thing, too, is my question is get a lot of new handlers out with new dogs – they don't engage the first time so obviously i'm going to muzzle work and all that what do y'all recommend to do fresh out of school to not only give confidence to the dog to make the bite but the
6: handler to have confidence in his dog you're saying to make the bite on the first street first, so, so. Bite? first,
8: first street bite yes,
6: yeah yeah that's all preparation work, so What I've found, if you're just going to pick one, is a lot of escapes. And what I mean by escapes is that the dog don't get the bite every single time. So we're using no equipment. Uh, Could that be dangerous? Of course. But if I'm finding, you know, on a little short track or a little area search, even if I'm just walking up to somebody, uh, one of my, you know, prepared decoys, he's not wearing nothing but a pair of shorts. And I'm just commanding him to get down on the ground. I'm keeping the dog stem to him. And then he's going to get up and do a slow jog away and i'm going to do a slow chase and eventually we're going to lose him so the dog's thinking that he's going to get that bite and he escapes he gets away from us imagine how frustrating that is for the dog and so you do that enough it just builds and builds and builds and so when that opportunity comes the dog is thinking this guy's going to get away from me i can't let this happen i can't let him escape and so that may help and then if that's just the only one that uh, I've found so effective that's the one I used I took a dog that we didn't think would bite from a handler that didn't quite believe in the dog and we uh, worked him and worked him and and he was able to succeed on the street just from that type of work a lot of those escapes but if you're going to do a lot of other things that uh, prosthetic stuff just to see and I I want to work that Properly, I don't want to just make it another toy. And what I mean by that is I use that prosthetic just to see where I'm at. So if I present it and they're just chomping at it, they're missing, but those teeth are slamming together and you're watching that behavior of the dog and you know that had he had his mouth within that reach, he would have made that bite, you rest assured that if that had been your arm, he probably would have taken it. So if he – and you then – Give him that opportunity to bite it and he bites it and holds it you know that would have been a real bite if he bumps it when he should have bitten it or smells it you know that that would have happened on the street he would have bit that flesh and went oh this isn't right what is this and so that would have probably been the failed bite so but you'll just want to use that as the opportunity to see where you're at on those and then muzzle fighting the same way so we want to use that muzzle to bump and then just all um the uncommon, the un um, unnatural stuff, so we could stuff a big pair of pants with maybe a bunch of sheets that the dog could bite that doesn't, not going to hurt the, uh, the decoy that we could use for the dog to bite, you know, just to see if he's going to bite that, hold it, let him shred it off that person if he wants to, and then a, another escape if he's able to shred it, you know, so he's not smelling the, the smell of that jute or smelling the, the, the fake stuff you know so we just want to measure that out and see where he's at so those are all prep work but those escapes are probably my favorite and i'll
1: follow up on that you know i think is doing it in training and then you know i think there's there are there are people you know if you live in a, a busier area and your department's busy this isn't about intimidating the person with the dog or whatever but if there's a legitimate reason if your gang unit is chaining somebody up and he's going to go to jail anyway having that dog out to prevent an escape a hundred percent control or a thousand percent control we're not gonna bite this guy but that guy doesn't want to go to jail, and he's putting out that the scent that we want. He's not happy about it, and he's seen this picture before where now this guy's going to get walked away, and he's going to get put in a car. Then that's the time maybe I'm going to stand back and let that dog kind of get a little – I don't really necessarily want him barking, but I want to watch that dog. I want the ears up. I want him paying attention like – there was some work here, and now it's going. And then, as he's walking away, I'm going to go with that dog for a step or two. I'm not going to. There's not. I don't care if there's body camera because I'm not leaned over saying, get him, "Get him! Get him! Get him!" and chasing him. I'm just going to let that dog pay attention and just kind of walk towards him a little bit and just let him know that that could have been some work, you know. And let and let him keep seeing that picture where that just because this guy doesn't have any any equipment on, Dad's still interested in him, so I should be interested in him. And if the if I'll be able to read the dog then. If there's some commotion and they're talking to the guy, the guy's clearly agitated, doesn't want to go to jail, but they're not fighting him. But he's putting off all the odor that where an experienced street dog probably is going to fire up. If this dog is now smelling the the floor and, and walking around and not paying attention, then I know I need to go back to my basics, escapes, and show him you know some some scenario stuff and start working this dog up. But I would I guess as an industry too, you know I caution everybody. You know, with the the world we live in now, your first bite or how many bites we get is not important at all. I think as long as the dogs are hunting people and they're finding them and they're staying with them, that's the more important part. And we shouldn't concentrate too much about the bites. I think if you if you get them around enough people and show them that those people are what we're looking for, that when that time comes most of these dogs will transition over with without too much trouble and and it's it's different i mean it, there's some dogs that that transition immediately and then there's and i've seen i've seen a, the gamut i've seen some very very strong dogs they have a hard time on the first one and katie bar the door on the second one because now it's like i figured it out you know so it, it's just one of those things and i think also you know preparing new handlers if you haven't had a street bite you know, as part of crisis rehearsal, you know, we've all had that when you're walking up to the car. If he shoots, I'm going this way and whatever. Part of our crisis rehearsal should be I've sent my dog and this guy's running down the street and now my dog's running next to him. What the hell am I going to do? Because, you know, those kind of things happen or I've sent my dog under a bush and he found the suspect, bumped him a few times and he left because he's never seen that picture before. That doesn't mean you're a failure. doesn't mean your program's a failure. It doesn't mean your dog's a failure. It means that it was a new thing to him and he just needs to transition. Those, the the runaways with the dog chasing him and the prone suspect that doesn't move are the two hardest things for the dogs and they account for a lot of failures for new dogs. If that happens to you, you know, make sure you go back to your training group and say, hey, here's what happened and let's start recreating and doing some muzzle work. So, Tasha.
7: Like Jeff was talking about a passive suspect Uh, I was on a SWAT call, and my dog ended up locating the guy in the closet who was under um, a bunch of clothes and blankets, could smell him, started barking. I gave the command to apprehend, and the guy's one hand came up. He never saw that sight picture. So for him, he's barking. He doesn't apprehend the guy, right? So we went back and trained it. So now we do a lot of, like, in the closet, people hiding under clothes, passive. They don't get a bite. Or they don't get any stem from the decoy unless they go in and give them a good hit and then the decoy can then move or give them something but we don't want the decoy stem in them at that point
1: yeah good good points anybody else have anything on that subject or
5: so biggest thing also is just like environmental stuff like what we did today with the building searches one group there was a dog who had a lot of slick floor issues So we just worked through it. We took it all the way basically back to a foundation standpoint and make sure each round that the dog went through, he was succeeding through it. So the next time dog had a little bit more confidence and then it just built or built up from there to the point to where the dog was now without any engagement from the handler, jumping over a dresser, trying to get to the decoy on slick floors and just basically just building up those environments for the dog and the team to show that when you build the confidence up in the dog, the handler or the newer handler is gonna build its confidence up as well. So
1: Good, good. Thanks. Thanks for the question. Anybody else have any questions? We'll probably wrap this up and we're just gonna go down the line here real quick. We'll start here with Tasha. We're just gonna talk real quick about just kind of, you know, maybe kind of the state of the industry as you see it and what are what are changing. Not necessarily not necessarily what's going on here this week, but let's just talk about Canine, And I mean, things are changing in law enforcement K-9, and canine. And what do you think, uh, you know, just a couple minutes of, of, of going through everybody and, and where we're at and what we should be doing better?
7: Um, I would just say that nowadays, especially in Colorado, we're being scrutinized with everything. Everything is on camera. Um, even if you have your video camera on, you're going to have a camera somewhere at a house or, you know, in a building somewhere. So they're getting different angles of it. Um, I think mainly like being clear headed, if your dog is on a bike, slowing things down enough that you're assessing the situation properly. And then, um, for us, we have to move that, remove that force immediately, um, per our new house bill. So if we do a lot of verbal outs now, which was uncommon when I first got on canine, um, so I think being open-minded about stuff because police work is evolving so much that you have to now kind of get with the trend of yes, we're doing verbal outs and it's it's more tactically safe in some incidences. Um, so
1: yeah, absolutely, and, and adapt to. Unfortunately, like when you guys watch. You know, the political winds, it starts in California, and then now we're becoming kind of a California, and that stuff tends to drift this direction. So, you know, if it starts over there, it doesn't mean you guys have to follow it, but maybe at least have it in your head that, you know, maybe we're going to have to change our tactics at some point. And the more on all of this stuff, whatever we're talking about, I always say, you know, write your own policy. Before they write that policy for you. So always be ahead and have your policies be a living document and make sure that you're ahead of all of the people who are, you know, right now who are the police experts are the ones who can call the chief and yell at them that don't know anything about police work and they can tell the chief how to do things. And a lot of the chiefs and sheriffs are saying, absolutely, I'll do that too because they're trying to, to survive and make everybody like them. So then they're changing your policy. So if we keep moving our policies forward and, like Tasha said, just watching what we're doing and changing how we do things, then you know at least we're having a hand in our policy as opposed to having some activists writing for them
7: and just to add to that real quick we debrief all our bites as a team Um, we talk about them and give constructive criticism on what we can always do better or tactically and and move we're not hindsight 2020 anybody's bites um just kind of getting in their mind like why did you do that and um so I think that's good as a team because then we also learn hey he thought of this where we may not have and then um you know just going over the bite yeah, in good general point. And, good yeah.
1: point jeffrey
6: jeff Barry, good anything all right I, I am such a big proponent of report writing and documentation for your training that um, it's the foundation of reliability and no matter what aspect of your your dog work but we're talking about the patrol dogs so you're looking at escalation of the use of force and de-escalation so if you're looking at that from that standpoint and you're only writing those things in your police report and if you're not you should be and if you're not writing that into your training records you definitely should be so those are the elements that we're going to be looking at from an expert standpoint to try and defend your actions Um uh, where why did you escalate to the use of the force with the dog? Were there other options that you could have taken those questions will be asked of you and so I want to see that uh, Mindset on paper the articulation that you can put into that. What were you thinking? Why you made that decision? What was in that environment that caused you to make that decision above anything else? Uh, why did you discard? Uh, the the idea of using a taser or hands on versus the dog right away, uh, and articulate that these are the reasons why. And Good if you point. can articulate those, it just makes perfect sense. Um, why didn't you get the dog off the bite sooner? That's always the question, right? So articulation is de-escalation. That's where it's at. So, and then it goes right back to what we've talked about before: the MAB one tactics. You know, effectively handling that person with physical control and, and strikes to get him under compliance and that's where we're at in the, the state of the industry is to get this dog um, off the bite and limit the amount of injuries that we're causing to people with the dog bite good point Dan I'm gonna pass it on over to AP okay
4: <laughs> all good points and, and I know we want to wrap this up um I, I would say for me clear control is paramount and a verbal release this day and age y- you got to have it um, I mean there's case law on it that specifically states control and verbal releases and it, it's obtainable you just got to work for it um, I'm not saying it's easy especially when you you, you 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 have a dog that's getting out getting a bunch of deployments and um, and to segue on what Jess said about um, training scenarios end, at the bite i want to go back a step further and even as trainers and as as handlers i know i had one scenario today where it was uh, more for the dog but i'm a big proponent of listen you're going to go over here and give your warnings go to cover don't get complacent just because it's a training day don't walk up i've been guilty of it you know it's you're on your sixth or seventh evolution make sure you're using cover when you give your commands. start thinking that way so that you don't rise up to training you fall back under stress so if you're starting off right hopefully you end right and just try to work those in on your scenarios if uh, if you're giving your warning does does everybody stand at the threshold of the door one foot off and the dog's right there and halfway inside back up a little bit however you're going to do it whatever your policy and procedures are but start thinking that safety aspect and and taking that all the way to the end um you get an engagement we're not running up anymore that's a training scar we don't we don't need to do that anymore let's stop let's slow things down let's look at his hands hey don't touch the dog we'll get him off if they're verbally surrendering and obviously you know it's not a very pleasant thing that's going on if it's got to that point um but where there's one there's two and there could be a weapon of opportunity so just slow things down and start that as trainers or as handlers start carrying that back to your to your to your teams and i'll leave it with this just because you can doesn't mean you should let's let's protect Um, the valuable tool that we have a locating tool that it is and um, I'll leave it at that
2: Blake good point so I would probably go with I believe we're in a new era in police work and in canine and we can't go back to the old one and I know how everybody feels about this because I used to feel the same way why are we being pushed to change In a world where you're asking us to do less with more, or actually, excuse me, do more with less, um, and we have a lot of expectations on ourselves, as well as the citizens and the government and everything we're doing, the departments, they expect so much out of us, and they expect us to be perfect at what we're doing. Uh, In that, I believe that as this new era is coming, we need to take the responsibility to meet that goal, to meet that high level of professionalism. we If we had a doctor or we had a um, somebody of a higher profession, we expect them to know exactly what they're doing and to do their job to the highest ability, have the most training they can possibly get, and when they are operating, when they're doing their job, to do it correctly, and we, 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 we believe in that. I feel like our citizens should feel the same way about us. When we show up to the call, oh, those professionals are going to do the right thing, they're going to do it correctly, and they're going to do it the best of their ability. So that being said, uh, I think we need to level up and evolve into what we're doing. It's not a fun thing. Uh, change sucks, and change is scary, but the change that we need needs to be made by us as instructors and handlers around the country, and we need to push these values that we're talking about so that our community, our cover officers, our departments, and the people who are making the law understand what we're doing and believe in what we're doing. Uh, I don't believe in allowing um, other entities that don't have the experience that we do to build and to do all these laws when we have so many great professionals, so many instructors that have so much experience that are trying to push us in the right direction. So I would say as handlers, and this is a hard thing for SWAT, TAC, K-9, uh, whatever it is, for us to just kind of open ourselves up t- to new ways of doing things, not getting rid of the old ways, improving on them and getting better on what we're doing so that we are seen as the same level of a professional, as a surgeon or a, as, a, as, a, uh, as a lawmaker or, or, or a lawyer. Um, I think we deserve that for ourselves to save our um, profession, to save ourselves from Uh, making mistakes that we can't go back on. So I think we should uh, be up in our game so that we can make a better uh, impact. Good point, good point. (laughs) All
1: right, guys, we're going to wrap this up. So thanks to all the trainers, and thanks for everybody that came down here and got a few beers from us and are sharing the the evening here with us and uh, asking some questions. And we're looking forward to the next couple days. we got a lot more training to come. So thanks, guys. Well, I hope you liked this latest episode of Hits and Radio. I recorded that last week when I was in Georgia, and uh, we were doing the class that I had mentioned. It was an advanced patrol dog class. I want to thank all the handlers that came down to that. We had handlers from several different states. Um, I think the class went really well. Everybody seemed to have a good time, and hopefully left with you know a few more ideas to take back home to them. As a reminder, if you want to host a class from our Hits canine uh, cadre of instructors All well, you have to shoot me an email jeff at hitscanine.net we can literally teach classes in any subject you come up with so we do classes of course i do a lot of e-collar classes we also do like our advanced patrol dog class we do a lot of different detection classes we do decoy schools so you name it we can uh, put together through all the vast network of instructors we have we can put together a really good class for you and all you have to do to host a class is simply start with an email to me tell me what you're looking for and then we'll handle all the registration we'll comp a few spots for the agency that wants to host us and all you have to do is help us with some uh, venues for the training so we make it really easy and uh, most everybody that uh, uses us to host a class ends up coming back to us several more times because it's a very easy process and get you out there uh, hosting classes and uh, we'll, we'll bring the, everything to you. And always uh, remember, we're going to be in Scottsdale for our big seminar. 12-1300 fellow cops will join everybody in Scottsdale, which is the suburb of Phoenix. So uh, that'll be in August. We got the, our big uh, seminar every year. Uh, probably 80, 90 vendors, um, quite a few different instructors, five classes at a time. If you've never been to our hit seminar, it's well worth checking out. The information for that and for our upcoming classes is at hitscanine.net. So, as always, I appreciate everything that you guys do in the industry. I know that uh, times are changing, and everybody that's uh, going out there and going to classes and listening to, you know, all the different canine podcasts and stuff, everybody's trying to uh, just keep moving our industry forward and save this valuable tool. I appreciate that, and thank you. Be safe.